Welcome, I'm Anna Varga and this is Worlds Within, an exploration of Tantra and mystic spirituality to reawaken our curiosity about our inner life and our connection to the divine. I'm sharing in this episode a little of my book, Everything I Do Not Know. Everything I Do Not Know arose from my own journey of unlearning or unknowing and coming to a place of living more comfortably with the reality that, as much as we might like to think otherwise, there is so much about life that we do not know and cannot know. Being at peace with not knowing came to represent something very powerful to me, and that is faith. We can't know how life will unfold or when or why, but we can find ways of trusting in the unknowing. And in that trusting, I've found that we receive a special kind of access to working with the subtle forces that are at play in our life. Being at peace with not knowing, having faith, is a very powerful place to be. Today I'm going to read to you chapter one from the book and then the prologue. I want to add a content warning to this episode as I do talk a little about suicide and share a personal experience of suicidal behavior in the book. Everything I do not know, chapter one, how life can be so fragile. I can't tell you how all this began. I can't say with any certainty why it is that things are this way, how the first buds bloomed, or how two cells came to be you. All I can say is that there is more to this life than is knowable. There is a humility and a wisdom in a child who knows that she does not know about the mysteries of this world who does not pretend to have the answers, but instead asks, and who does not seek proof, but instead trusts in her own experience. These are the conversations I've had alone under the stars and with the teachers I've met along the way. This is everything I did not know, and so often still don't. Come, let's talk late into the night, about why we are here and what this is really all about. Let's talk about what we believe in and how this life can be such a great joy and a torture at once. Let's talk without judgment, without either of us needing to be right and without pretending that we are too intellectual or too ignorant to inquire into such things. I want to hear about what keeps you up while the sun sleeps and all the mad ways you feel not quite good enough. I want to know if you believe in miracles. Tell me, without leaving anything out, what led you to be here now? Were there whispers and coincidences? And when you look back, does it all feel a bit like magic? I want to know, have you had another life before this one? And what is it that you long for that you cannot say? I want to talk around and around and around, asking why, 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 until we are so full of wonder that we cry out to the universe, show me, show me everything I do not know. There were nights 
painful nights, and days too that seemed to last forever, when there was just so much that I didn't know I didn't know. There were so many important questions that I had not considered. Do you know the ones I mean? I remember a dark night when life felt uneasy. I wake up alone in a bed made for two, in our all-white apartment full of carefully curated stacks of books, his and mine, that precisely capture all the ways our lives so perfectly intersect. He's gone again, and I can't admit to myself that I know where. Immediately, desperate questions erupt. Why don't you want to leave your shoes beside mine, inside our front door, and climb into this bed? Who is she, and how can I be her? I call his number again and again until there is no more ringing, only a long, loud beep and silence. I cry and rage, and then I lay paralysed. This place is the lowest of the low, I am sure. There is no way out, I am sure. Hours before the sun will rise, I run out of questions, run out of anger, and run out of tears. How good it would be, I think, to feel something. Rushing in slow motion, I slip out of our house, just a shadow, I am not me. I get in my car, turn the key in the ignition, put on my seatbelt, then take it off again, and start to drive away. At the end of our street is the restaurant where he works, the place he has left home for. There is nobody there now. I pull out onto the highway, no music, no maps, no destination in mind, just driving away from this. I know I seem dramatic. I know I should be equipped to handle this rejection. It seems like everyone else can, but I can't. So I drive and drive. I'm going faster than I should now. And as the lights ahead turn green to orange, I do not slow down. As they turn to red, I close my eyes and push my foot towards the floor. Faster and faster I feel the rush, the possibility of it being over. Peace. But there is nothing. No sudden impact. Just my hands on the wheel. Steady hum of the tyres on the road below. I try again and again. But just like the other nights, I remain here in this body, here in this life, until the first light of day arrives like a siren, waking me up, calling me home. Now I hardly recognise that girl, who tried so hard to make a home for herself in so many not-quite-right places. That girl who couldn't imagine it did not have to be that way. I hardly recognise her, yet I know she is me when I am lost. Is it not a magnificent miracle that we can hold so many perfect, scared, fragile, courageous selves inside of us all at once? 
It is rare in this world to meet a person who is truly content. Not just occasionally content or pretending to be content, but someone with a deep abiding peace, a peace that is lasting, unwavering. The peace of a person who falls asleep easily and wakes with excitement, who toils effortlessly and joyfully. A person who can't help but love, no matter the circumstances, and who wants not for wine or pills or any of our other little vices to up their downs or soothe the itching in their heart. Don't you want to be the one who is okay just as you are? Not chasing, not pushing, not resisting. So what is it that the peaceful one knows? How did they get there? And I don't mean the ones who have hardened themselves to life. I don't mean the ones who are too numb or too superficial to feel it all. But the ones who can and do feel it all, yet still remain steady when life is not. What is this invisible something that allows us to trust in life? That tells us on the deepest level that it is safe to just be. What can we anchor into so that when the tides shift, when we are rocked, tried, tested, when life throws at us everything that it must for us to grow, we still have something that holds us? I am fascinated by how you feel this already, or perhaps how you don't, because for most of my life I didn't know it was possible. I didn't know how to make sense of the chaos how to keep my gaze upon the horizon, how to stay gentle and make sense of broken hearts and broken families and a world that is so full of uncertainty. So I took comfort in the things around me and I looked forward to the next small joy, the next escape and the next thing and the next thing, but there was always a point where I would be back in the groundlessness of a life that seemed to be not quite enough. Of course, there are so many joys to be found in this world. Thank yous and I love yous and I'm sorry I hurt yous and holding hands and buying a new coat for winter and planting a seed and watching as it grows into a tree and not making the same mistake a second time. But what about beyond the things that make us happy for just a little while? What about beyond your lover's touch or your mother's cooking? Or a familiar joke with a familiar friend? Beyond the next plane trip or salt-rimmed margarita? Beyond the next orgasm or promotion? What about when they all fade in a sunset, as is the way of this world? Can you still know joy in the absence of it all? What about when all we dreamed of finally arrives, but it doesn't feel quite the way we hoped it would? And alas, there is a new wish list in place of the old one. We can turn this life into an endless chasing of rainbows, waiting to arrive, waiting for it to happen, thinking, if I just had one more spoonful, then I'd feel it. 
But eventually everyone realises, even if it's in their last breath, then never arrives. Maybe some of us find out sooner than others because we look further and wider and faster for the something that never comes. If you can't feel joy with what you have now, you won't feel joy with what you have later. There is only now. There is only now. There is only now. Maybe you've had the realisation before, even if only for a moment, that there is nowhere to get to because you've already arrived. Nothing to long for because all you need you already have. Nothing to know, but rather something to remember about who you are. We need words like these because we forget that we've forgotten. Oh, how easily we forget. Maybe you're not like me. Maybe you already feel deeply content and not at all concerned with all the things we do not know. But perhaps you're curious about the possibility of being able to trust so deeply in life that you are endlessly heartened. Perhaps you need that peace like a healing balm. A peace that sings louder than your worry and your doubt. A peace that permeates the unknown. So this is me, shining a light in the hope that we might all feel a little less groundless and a little more held. The Prologue These words were written with the hope of laying faith bare for the taking. I long for faith to become common and accessible to all as an antidote to the despair and loneliness that can plague modern life with its modern problems. Everything I do not know is so named as a way of distinguishing it from other books in the spirituality genre that claim to know so much about the notion of ultimate truth and what one ought to believe. We can gain much from spiritual discourse, but we can gain the most from speaking in personal experiences rather than in dogmas and absolutes. When we turn away from institutionalised knowledge and religious thought, we can embrace experiential learning, knowledge that flows from the bodily senses in all their forms. In a world that likes to take comfort in the belief that everything can be broken down into parts and understood plainly, It is most refreshing to be in the company of readers, or in this case, listeners, who prefer to sit, as I hope you do, in the unsolvables of human experience. What do we miss when we seek only to rationalise away life's mysteries? It's in these less charted waters of modern spiritual inquiry that everything I do not know treads, and perhaps in which we can find the most practical insights for contented living. Ten years on from the initial experience of darkness that gave rise to this book and five years on from finding the courage to write it, I have much love still for these words. More than the words themselves, I have love for the conversations and connections they've made possible. 
In Australia, somebody attempts suicide every eight minutes. This statistic reveals only a tiny fraction of the vast number in our community who are struggling to find belonging, purpose and meaning. The mental and emotional spaces of those among us who are most at risk of contemplating, taking or attempting to take their own life are characterised by the experiences of helplessness and hopelessness. From the messages I've received in response to this book, I am without doubt now that cultivating a spiritual life comprising of both faith in something beyond human form and curiosity about the higher purpose of one's own life is transformational work. To know a deep abiding faith is to be equipped with an oxygen mask in a world prone to turbulence and mid-flight emergencies. It is to be hopeful and trusting in life and to be open to receiving help knowing there is a source from which help can be summoned. In this way, a coherent personal faith is a fundamental remedy for the helplessness and hopelessness that many of us experience throughout our lives. In what is perhaps the greatest cliche an author could admit to, I did honestly write this book with the hope of helping just one person. I thought that if just one person could see themselves in my words and feel a buoyant possibility about the way their life could evolve, that would be enough. The only word I know for this comes from a language more attuned to these pursuits of the soul than English. It is the Sanskrit word dharma, which encompasses both the idea of a duty and a purpose, as well as the broader concept of a state of spiritual harmony within the world. We each have dharmic responsibilities. They call to us and we know that our fulfillment of them will in some way contribute positively to our own self as well as our time and place. It is the footprint we sense we are contracted to leave if only we can find the path on which we're destined to take that next step. That path feels well-worn now that I've stood in the message of this book for the past few years. In readying this second edition for print, I spent time clarifying some of the ideas about God and spiritual growth that felt big and elusive when I first wrote them. Some of the gentle persuasion that I initially wrote has become more pointed as I myself have become more assured of the utility of these teachings and more brave in sharing from within the mystery of it all. You might notice these evolutions if you're familiar with the first edition. More than anything, this book is a pushing back against the relentless pace and expectation of our world. It pushes back in order to create a space where the sensitive and spiritually curious can breathe and return to themselves. So with open arms, I invite you into this realm of inner discovery. May you find a resonance in my story that propels you onwards upwards and inwards on your own journey of meaning making may be unafraid to remember what your heart has never forgotten thank you for listening i'll leave a link to the book in the podcast notes along with some mental health support resources if this is a fragile time for you please don't hesitate to seek support I'm Anna Varga and this has been Worlds Within.